Welcome to this episode of the uh, TCU Neely School Business Real Estate Webinar. My name is Carl Pankratz. I'm an adjunct professor uh, here at TCU. And today our guest is Scott Everett with S2 Properties. Uh, Scott, everybody knows you, but tell us a little bit about yourself. Yeah, uh, Scott Everett, born in Dallas, Texas. Uh, grew up in Oak Cliff, Duncanville. First half of the, my childhood and then moved to Flower Mound and uh, was a wonderful C student in public schools and, uh, you know, moved into Frisco and then just kind of worked my way down into Plano and then hopped down to North Dallas. So that's where I currently reside. And I've got uh, three kids plus a bonus child. So we've got uh, four in our household and uh, they keep me very busy. So did you go to public school a lot of these different places before you graduated in Plano? Always public school, okay. which I make a point of saying only because as I moved into Dallas, all my friends all want to talk about how all their kids go to private school and it's just so much better. And I'm like, eh, is it though? Like, I mean, I have a bunch of brothers and stuff and I mean, I think public school systems did us just fine. So um, all that to say is just, you know, I, I, I've enjoyed moving down to the, into the North Dallas community. Well, I mean, I think that leads into the first question and this is probably the question everybody here wants to know. So, uh, you know, Matthew McConaughey, very successful in the private sector, invests in a whiskey line, rumors that he's going to run for governor. So we have Scott Everett, very successful in the private sector, invests in a tequila line. Scott, today, are you running for governor? <laughs> Lieutenant governor. Okay. All right. Shots fired. Uh, shots fired. So it's easy to talk about Scott and uh, where you are today and all the success you have. But, you know, the step of a million miles or the journey of a million miles begins with a single step. So you know, let's, let's, let's bring it back to that first deal. You know, talk about, you know, what gave you confidence in that asset? How'd you pull the, the money together? Who'd you partner with? How'd you get it off the ground? Sure. Um, so I didn't go to college. Um, so I'll start with that. Um, I was, uh, like I said, a, a pretty poor student. I graduated in the bottom 10% uh, of my class. Um, but I was always obsessed with um, just business and, and real estate and finance. Um, and so it was 2007, uh, I was in detention and I'm reading about Forbes, I'm reading an article in detention um, from Forbes about the Blackstone IPO. And this was when, uh, you know, they were going public and I'm reading all this math. I'm like, what the hell, like who makes this much money? Like, this is insanity. And uh, so it really kind of hooked me then. I just remember that article vividly. Um, and then about a month or two later, I'm at prom um, uh, and I meet this guy and he's, handing out 20s to people to do like challenges, like little things. And I'm like, who's this guy handing out all his money? Cause you know what I mean? You know, handing out 200 bucks at the time was just astronomical. Um, and so I start picking his brain. I find out he's a real he's a retail guy. Um, and so we spend all day at this after party. He was dating the mom of the, the lady hosting this party. And uh, we, we, we hit it off. And so afterwards I, I reach out to him. Hey, can I work uh, for you for free? I just want to learn. Um, graduating high school and I think it would be an awesome opportunity uh, and so that was 07 uh, we started putting together a fund to go flip homes because uh, that was all the rage at the moment uh, and everything blew up and he said you know what I actually don't have as much retail real estate as I kind of led, led you to believe uh, I'm going to get a job in servicing uh, uh, mortgages and good luck to you and so we did not go with the fund um, and I tell people I just really read too much art of the deal uh, and I started looking on uh, distressed, looking at distressed office towers. 
and uh, I uh, I come from no money. My family has no money. I drove a ten year old, you know, Toyota 4Runner, uh, and so I had to borrow my mom's Infinity because I thought that was like this, you know, signal of wealth at the time. And uh, I go tour this I go tour this uh, office tower in downtown Fort Worth, and uh, I'm touring and I'm asking all these stupid questions. I show up in a full suit and tie on a Friday at three o'clock, and the broker's like, a "Little overdressed, man, on a Friday." And I'm like, "God, I look like an idiot." And uh, I'm touring with him. He's like, he's like, so why are you doing office? I'm like, you know, I didn't even have a great answer for that. He's like, you, need, you don't do office. You got to do multifamily. Uh, I've got a listing over here with a junkie listing. He's like, you need to come look at it. And I was like, let me write that down. Multifamily. Okay. Off to the races. Um, I fell in love with it. Loved the economics of it better as I dove, it, dove in. Um, and uh, from there, just met some great people who, uh, you know, I, I started setting up partnerships um, with them uh, and I was running and uh, trying to find land sites for us to develop. I established some strategic partnerships with Blake Pogue, who his dad's Mac Pogue at Lincoln. He ran Phoenix Property Company. Um, he kind of turned me loose to go find land sites to tie up. Um, we ended up putting, you know, 30 acres in the heart of Oakland at 20 bucks a foot. Uh, could not get it done. I spent two years of my life trying to get this thing uh, off the ground, finding equity, all the things. Um, and these deals just kept dying on me. Um, and in the meantime, you know, I had my first child uh, when I was 18. Uh, so uh, my ex-wife, ex-wife, but mother uh, was 17. So she had to go away for senior year to bad girl school uh, and go graduate over there. And, uh, and so, you know, we're, we're coming out. I'm, I'm this I'm this guy trying to sling deals around in real estate who's 19, 20 years old. Everyone's looking at you like you're crazy. Um, and meanwhile, all my deals keep falling apart. And I'm like, man, I gotta, I'm bartending, I'm waiting tables, I have no money. I was borrowing student loans from JP Morgan Chase uh, to use them for diligence and pursuit costs and some of this stuff. Uh, meanwhile, I wasn't actually going to college. So I would enroll on my credit card. I would get my proof of enrollment, send it to JP Morgan. They would defer my loan and I'd get that and I'd cancel and get my money back on my credit card. I did this, <laughs> did this for four years uh, at a 23% interest rate. So my, my, my loan balance before I ever made any money was about 120 grand off of 50 of principal. And uh, so anyway, so I'm like, dude, I'm, I'm running out of money. Um, I'm, so uh, I get into value add and I start focusing there in 2010 after talking with some friends and uh, you know, finally got a deal done in 2012. There's a long, long journey at the moment. Now let's pause to hear from today's sponsor. Apartment owners have a lot on their plate. Dealing with lenders doesn't need to be one of them. At Blackacre Commercial, our team is comprised of individuals with high-level experience in real estate law, title insurance, city council, and acquisitions. Thus, unlike other mortgage brokers, we not only get you a great loan, we get you to close. Whether you are looking for Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac, HUD, Bridge, or Life Company loans, we are ready to help. Let Blackacre Commercial's National Network of Lenders and Equity Providers handle your next apartment refinance or acquisition. For more information, give us a call, 806-438-7194, or visit us at blackacrecommercial.com. So that first, you know, going back, so, you know, you finally find a deal. At this point, you know, you're starting to get your legs under your what to look for. You're dealing with people. You know, what, what about that deal made it, you know, made it worth jumping in on? Um what made it worth jumping in on was the IRR and the paper, but it was because I totally messed up the underwriting. Um, <laughs> it, 
truth be told, we were converting a chiller property on a student, you know, in Denton, and uh, you know, I, I forgot to budget interest carry. Uh, I forgot to, you know, I, I budgeted eight, eight a door and renovation to convert a chiller and a partial flat roof and turn all the units. Um, so guess what? You know, who's out there being the GC and subcontractor, the painter, and I mean, I did it all, ground up, uh, and uh, on that very first deal. But what really made it happen was just the relationships I'd established four or five years prior to that deal getting done. Um, a guy named Adam Blake and Sanjay Chandra, who ended up first backing me. Uh, Sanjay, who still does a ton of deals with me today, um, was had just sold his company, American Leather. He was liquid. He was entrepreneurial. Uh, and he was looking to raise money and, and back kind of, you know, up and coming entrepreneurs or whatever. Um, and so I brought, we brought him that first deal and uh, they raised $2 million and he guaranteed the loan because we had no money. And that's what kind of kicked it off. But you know, at the time it was a, it was a, a new kind of, uh, you know, a value add multifamily just wasn't what it is today. It was kind of a unique, weird, you know, thing. And, you know, everyone that talked to talked about lipstick on a pig and the developers thought you're crazy. And so, you know, just, you just had to find the right guy and hundred said no, but one said yes. And it, it worked out. So how did you earn Sanjay's trust? Um, really through a guy, a, a good friend, Adam Blake, who, bought the historic electric building. Uh, he bought it from Bass Family. So Adam's probably two years older than me. So he's 34 or 35. And uh, that was 2010 when I was in the midst of really trying to figure out how the heck I was going to pull something off. And I'm reading about this kid who's, you know, 25 or something at the time or 24, buying from the Bass Family a tower in downtown Fort Worth. And uh, I'm like, this is amazing. I got to meet him. So we ended up grabbing lunch, become good friends. He worked with me and looked at stuff with me. Uh, and then when the time come, uh, I had actually met Sanjay through a different relationship and then found out that Adam really knew Sanjay and that's who vetted for me. Um, and so it's just reflecting back after, you know, 10, 12 years of doing this, it always kind of amazes me at how one email or one article or one intro can all make all the difference. I mean, I really do think it makes a huge impact. Mm, so, so kind of flash forward. You now have, you know, multiple properties, you know, let's say the first hundred and you get to that 2000 unit point. So from this first property you did with Sanjay to the, to the 2000, you know, unit you have in your portfolio, what lessons learned as you kind of grew? Um, got better at underwriting. Uh, <laughs> the, um, I mean, the, the main thing was just, you know, uh, having the right people around you was, was, was everything. Um, you know, and also don't get caught up in all the, just the micro details of, I, I, I tell people all the time trying to get into multi or how you buy this or how you buy that. I promise you the day you close your performance wrong. It just, it just is. Um, so, you know, when we go on buying sprees, people are like, oh, how'd you get, I'm like, look, do you believe in that there's, there's 10 macro environments that we probably follow very closely. Do you believe in all those things in the sub market you're in with supply? The rents, all that kind of good stuff. Um, and, you know, it's like, just, just focus on those and then get into the nitty gritty. And then, you know, just, 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 just be confident enough in that to pull the trigger. But, um, you know, it's really all about the people and the multifamily is all, it's an execution business. It's not industrial. It's not just going to sit there and you fill it up and you lease it and just sink. But, you know, if you don't have the right operations and the right management, and the right, you know, team, it, it just, it all fails. Um, and so, you know, we, we hired people, we fired them quickly. Um, and, you know, eventually we got it right. And that was, that's definitely been the biggest impact on our, our success there. 
So, you know, the next question as far as jumps is, you know, kind of from that 5,000 to now well over, you know, 20,000, uh, you know, one of the lessons learned along the way is you have to build an executive team. So, you know, one of the hard parts has to be a, you know, you're the one that grew this, you're the one that built this, you know, so, you know, kind of bringing on people that, that didn't go through all the heartaches and the journey to get where you are, but now they're obviously, you know, working with you to try to take it to the next level. How did you build that team around you with kind of the executive level? Yeah, I mean, so Bart, first employee, uh, he's, he's my younger brother. He got a degree in finance and I, I lied to him about our success at the time and got him to come join us because uh, he had a nice job offer from Ryan uh, Consulting. And uh, I mean, he was officed in a hallway and, you know, we, we kind of went through all the, all the you know, tough times together, but it's the best way to learn. Um, and then we ended up, after we kind of got to 1,500 units, we, we started our management company. Uh, we, from day one, we were our own general contractor. You know, we fired three in the first six months of me doing our first deal. Um, and so I quickly realized vertical integration is the, the key to any of success in this business, in, in my opinion. Um, there's just too many things to control and too many things that can go wrong if you don't have the right playbook. Um, but, you know, I, as we started that management company, um, we said, you know, we're going to hire a CFO and a COO to run it, and we just cannot screw that up. You know, we're too new. We're just getting our company. And my gosh, I mean, we just screwed it up royally. We hired two people that I couldn't fire quick enough. And uh, I was just like, my God, like, I got to do better. So thankfully, got the next two people in. They've been with me ever since. Um, and so that kind of rounds up the executive team. Um, I, you know, I, I think... You know, I guess we've all been together seven years now. Um, you know, they're, they're some of my closest friends. Uh, and, you know, a lot of it is just alignment of interest. I think it's all about uh, letting everybody participate in the upside, uh, you know, be involved in the, in the tough decisions, empower people, uh, and get out of their way. I think at the end of the day, people really just want to feel like they, they can make an impact, make a difference, and have some unilateral decision making. S2 is now in Arizona, S2 is now in Florida. Um, so you've decided to, to start looking at other states. I saw you, you have an acquisitions guy for the Southwest and an acquisitions person for the Southeast. So you're obviously seeing more expansion in different markets. Uh, you know, when you enter those new states, obviously the easy, you know, the easy differences are how they handle property taxes. But obviously once you get in there, you start to see price of labor might be cheaper, more expensive. Materials might be cheaper, more expensive. Some of the vendors that you're accustomed to working with here might not be the same vendors you work with there. So as you entered these new markets, you know, number one, you know, what were the key things you were looking for? And then number two, what are some lessons learned in entering new markets? Um, I mean, first and foremost, we're just focused on I mean, truth of jobs, follow the jobs, follow the population growth. Um, and watch your supply. I mean, that's wherever we've ever gotten hurt, it's normally from some sort of supply balance. Um, so we're very particular on that. Um, you know, and then, and then you follow the jobs. It's like, I was, I was laughing uh, the other day, Cadre put out a report and it says, you know, over our million data points that through our exclusive technology platform, we've devised, you know, the top 10 investment markets. And it's like Phoenix, Dallas, Charlotte. I'm like, wow really needed a million data points for that but um it's you know it's just it's just follow jobs and population growth um and then we hire people who have who have had success you know building teams out there so 
our Southeast guy came from Crow. Um, and then he brought over his associate from Crow to work with him um, up and down Carolina, Florida. Um, you know, go Jacksonville, Johnny. Uh, and uh, so, so we've been buying, you know, Orlando, Tampa Jacks, you know, Charlotte, Raleigh, Durham. Um, you know, lucky enough, Apple decides to put a billion dollar campus in Raleigh uh, near one of our deals. But that's what I mean is just, you know, if you follow the jobs, you follow the corporate environment, the tax environment, the political environment. Um, those are the things we, we, we look for and watch. Uh, Arizona, uh, I mean, everybody should have bought in Phoenix everything they could find in the last three years. Um, we will probably be net sellers this year. Uh, but again, you know, COVID has accelerated all the trends we were seeing previously, but uh, it, it all kind of, it's, it's all the same reasons that COVID is pushing these people out of California, New York, yada, yada, yada. Um, and these, these states are, are net benefits. So late in the future, you know, we, we just saw a report come out today as far as inflation should take a little higher in April uh, than was expected. Uh, you know, we obviously, you know, you, you still see uh, some states are still closed with COVID. Um, question looking into the future is, you know, what keeps you excited moving forward in multifamily? What keeps you excited in making an acquisition, you know, this year, next year, um, when you start to see some of the headwinds uh, maybe come together? I mean, it's got to be the weirdest environment we've, we've been in. I mean, we, you know, uh, for every 10 reasons I can make that you should sell everything this year, I can make 10 exact reasons for why you should buy everything. I mean, you know, it's multi is a great inflation protection asset. You know, it's like a hotels and multi um, in terms of inflation protection. So, um, you know, 20 cents of every dollar has been printed in the last year over the history of America. I mean, it's kind of mind boggling to think. And then, you know, the Fed keeps saying, it's just you know it's just it's just catching up and I think I think that's just total lip service um, and so our opinion is at some point you know uh, the economy is going to require them to raise rates probably quicker than expected um, you know what does that mean who the hell knows right like do we see inflation pick up and all of a sudden six percent rent growth is normal and therefore if cap rates move up you're just growing your way out um, I think you have to inflate your way out of the debt anyway so I think it's coming um, it's just hard to figure out what to do there. Um, so we are very focused on what we're doing right now is buying really well-located, high-quality assets. Uh, and we're selling some of our, uh, I'd say, more hands-on assets. Uh, and so we are, um, we're just transitioning strategies a little bit, um, but still very excited to keep growing. We love the markets we're in. Um, and honestly, at this point, it's just uh, a ton of fun for the team. I mean, everybody from our accounting person up to Myself, everyone makes money when we do deals, sell deals, execute deals, uh, hit our Q1 NOI targets. Um, you know, everyone's driven and, you know, all of our team gets to invest in deals. They get a percentage of promote pro rata to that investment. Um, we really tried to build a culture that as we all win, we all win together. And just truthfully told, that's the most exciting part of it. Um, you know, I mean, after, after we've, we've done 95 deals and bought, 33,000 units or something like that. It's, um, it is a little bit repetitive, but um, that's the, en the energy of, of the teamwork is really what keeps us going. I always like to ask about technology, you know, right? Cause that, it's, you know, you, you see products like Red IQ out there that, you know, in the past, you know, when I've underwritten deals, you know, there's an Excel spreadsheet and you had to 
fill out the Excel spreadsheet, which might take you an hour. And then you had to, you know, pull your rents, try to figure that out. That might take an hour versus yeah, products now like Red IQ, you just upload the rent roll to T12 and then bam, it's all right there. And it's selling you rollover schedules. And, and, and so you wonder, you know, well, okay, it, it, does that affect me hiring an analyst or not? Um, you know, others, now you're starting to see other groups uh, that have gotten your size, invest in smart lock technologies, you know, smart home as a whole technology. Um, you know, is, is S2 or, you know, is, is technology started to, to enter kind of the operationally what you do? Uh, absolutely. I mean, you know, for some of this stuff, it's so complicated. We need to hire some, some quants or something, but uh, it's, it's um, you know, we've rolled out all these different amenity packages. Uh, you know, we actually were fortunate to start a smart apartment technology company. Uh, I started with Adam Blake, who I was mentioning earlier, uh, four or five years ago, we sold it. Uh, two years ago, and then it resold again. Uh, Vista Equity is selling it to Global Payment Systems. Um, so we've been we've been very technology driven, uh, really really since the beginning. Um, and you know, there's just <coughs> it's catching up. But real estate, especially commercial, was really still in the dinosaur age as of five years ago. Um, you know, the way that things are done. I mean, just take maintenance for example. Like, why do we still do maintenance this way? It's just awful. Uh, you know, you have no tracking of your maintenance team, your porters, they disappear in their unit for four hours. You know, you ask them what they did. I mean, it's just, it is so old school. Um, so we've rolled out, you know, we have our landscapers act as porters. Um, so they clean up as they go. Um, we have, they have their own cell phone. They use geotechnology to track them. We have KPI indicators by person to tell me, you know, it should take you 90 minutes to mow and pick up your trash on this property and I need you in the car and moving on. And you get bonus based on your performance. I mean, little things like that, that uh, really haven't kind of rolled out to the broader market, but we're starting to see on our portfolio, you know, significant impact. So I think we're just getting started in terms of technology. Um, you know, the Wi-Fi packages that you can roll out and how cheap they can be, but how also profitable, you know, everything on a three cap at this moment just makes tons of sense if you can, squeak out two or three bucks here on other income or in a technology package here and all that stuff. So we're very aggressive into the technology suite and stuff. Do you have any trackers on Mark if he's on ESPN for two hours? Are you like, dude, like, like we need you here, like two hours? He, he's the only one that doesn't, yeah, I don't have to worry about him. <laughs> uh, but, uh, you know, a couple more questions. Uh, you know, there are a lot of groups uh, that kind of hit that 5,000. We've, we've talked about this before. Uh, they hit that 5,000 number, but they weren't able to really plateau past that. You busted through that number. What did you do that they did? Huh. Uh, I mean, look, I think you can get to 5,000. You know, the first thousand is really hard. That's probably three deals if you're doing big deals. Um, if, if that's when you're super hands on, you're really paying attention to every nickel. And so if you're buying from anybody who's got a ton of you, you probably can extract value. Um, and so I think you find some success there. And then that, that couple deal success will turn into probably 15 deals or something. And then you really have to show up and perform. And I feel like that's where everyone kind of, they have some success, they put the rocket fuel on, and then you look back at your portfolio and you're not, you're just, you, you, you've gone from being the guy that has to underwrite real estate to now having to be a true operating partner, uh, you know, multiple different environments that you might be in, multiple different sub-market challenges, uh, different property challenges. Um, and I think that that's when the equity starts to say, hey, we've done enough deals with you. 
um, we need to see some returns back before before anything goes further. Um, and that news travels pretty quick. And if you're if you're try if you're having a tough time there, I mean, you see all the time that kind of three to five thousand unit you know owner operator that gets in there and then you know just kind of disappears for a while um, or ends up dumping their portfolio or whatever may happen. So um, we've seen a lot of guys you know come in hot in the owner operator space, build up a portfolio and dump it and move into just raising equity because they, you know, decide it's just not for them. I mean, honestly, I mean, being, an, being a, a true manager in a management company, uh, I mean, there's nothing sexy about it. It is, it is, uh, you know, all you do is get served lawsuits every eight hours. Um, <laughs> but it's a, uh, it's a grind. And I think, you know, if you take your ball for more than a moment, I mean, it can all change pretty quick. So tequila. Um, I, uh, you know, what's kind of interesting is something that uh, is not as well known about you is how much you give back and especially in the business community, how many incubators, you know, you've worked with to kind of get started, how many investments that you've done to, to help the next generation of people make the American dream. You know, it's, again, everybody sees so much success, but one thing you've done is you've tried to help other people get there as well. Um, but specifically on this investment. So uh was it uh you just love tequila it's just good memories from tequila um you know that's what sent your first wife to bad girl school is tequila <laughs> like what uh what what was the fascination with tequila uh i mean it's the same thing that's fascinating about real estate it's just uh it, you know what really what really got me interested was just watching trends all of a sudden i mean we all live in dallas or most of us and you know all of a sudden four or five years ago you know Everyone starts talking about ranch waters and you know Casamigos and all stuff. So naturally, I just go start reading a bunch of articles. You find out, you know, tequila in Dallas is very popular to us, uh, but up until 20 years ago, it was a mixto. The, the tequila you drink today, which is what's made it so popular, because you know John Paul de Joria started with Patron. Um, now it's 100% blue agave, and so it's become more like a sipping whiskey or scotch or whatever it may be you know we were talking earlier i mean i drink my own rocks frank drinks his own rocks 15 years ago all it was was hash sugar you had to be 49 percent sugar under 50 and you could be 51 percent agave to be tequila and so you know that was what queer was and that was all the terrible hangovers everyone remembers um and so the, the dynamic shifted and uh started looking at it and i realized you know Vodka was declining, beer was declining, gin was having its little bit of a lift, and here's ultra premium tequila, which hadn't existed up until 15 years ago, and it's grown at 20%, you know, compound annual growth rate, um, and it sells less than cherry cordials globally, it sells 1%, um, and so then you start looking at, okay, Avion, Casamigos, what are these guys even trading at, were they just some massive behemoth going to Diageo? Uh, no, they're not, they're doing 40 million in revenue trading at 25x on revenue, selling for a billion dollars. Um, and so you look at that math and you're like, uh, I mean, I, I know I can get, I mean, we can, we can market and we can have fun with it. Um, and, you know, I decided you know, highest tequila sales in, in Dallas is, does five and a half million in revenue. Um, and I at least know I can spend a good amount of money drinking all of our tequila everywhere. <laughs> uh, so I was like, you know, let's do it. It'll be fun. Um, and it's kind of back to that entrepreneurial grind of, uh, you know, S2 today is five, 600, 700 employees, whatever on our, on our team. And, um, you know, I feel like now everyone's problems laying on my desk. I'm doing less of the kind of fun startup 
grind that I that I love so much. And so um, got a little bit of that previously with the technology company when that exited and then um, decided this is as fun as anything. And, uh, you know, worst case, I just really enjoy drinking. So uh, we dove head first. We launched in, we launched right before COVID, pulled back before we went anywhere because uh, obviously what was going on and then relaunched in January. Uh, so, so Sadia, if you see it out, I'll send my kids to college. <laughs> <laughs> Do we have any questions? So the question was, you know, you know, Scott, you know, what, who are some of the, you know, the people that maybe you looked up to in the business, maybe some of the people you went to in the business? Um, I mean, honestly, you just, you just follow who's done it before you. Um, you know, I, I love Sam Zell. Uh, I, I really have studied his track record. I mean, the guy embedded institutional multifamily. He also gives absolutely no shit about anybody else but himself in terms of what you think of him, which I love. Um, you know, in terms of locally, I would say it's it's so bizarre uh, that I don't know if it's Dallas or or maybe it's our industry, but you know, some of my closest friends are competitors. I mean, John Griggs and and some of these other guys, David Moore at Nightvest. Um, I mean, we have a funny group checks where we all just send each other. I, I found that. Um, the industry is very open to helping others succeed. Um, and so, you know, while I look up to, you know, I love to study, you know, Paul Peebles, like I said, Sinzel, John Gray, uh, all those guys, I'd say that our, our local Dallas community um, of, of both entrepreneurs and people in, in multifamily um, are really open to just sit down having a coffee uh, and sharing their story, sharing their, their success. Um, and, you know, you just, you just don't find that very often. So, great question. Any other questions? Yeah, uh, Chris. So, first, would you buy another flat roof two-pack toilet property? Mm -hmm. And second of all, if you were in that area trying to break past the thousand-year mark in this economy, would you? What would you be doing? Would you still be in acquisition mode, or would you be kind of sitting tight? We are definitely, so we bought, uh, the last 12 months, we bought 8,000 units, somewhere around a billion three. So we are, we are in go mode. Um, that said, the last 90 days is just, I mean, the, the market has just caught fire. Um, I don't think multi's getting any cheaper for the next 18 months. I just, I really don't. Um, so I would say if you can find, here, here's my philosophy, it could be totally wrong. Uh, I feel that, you know, well-located um, assets will just maintain their values through a downturn better than not well-located. Right now, the, the market is totally agnostic. It doesn't matter if it's a two-pipe chiller deal in the middle of Skillman Adelia or if it's, you know, sitting next to Park District in, you know, Uptown. Um, it's all freaking three and a half to four caps. Um, and so my only advice to you is just you know, would I buy the two pipe chiller deal? Yeah, but I want at least 150 basis point premium. And that's why we're not buying it anymore. Um, we don't do it because it's fun. It's just, we did it to make money and there was money to be made. And I feel like it's gotten tougher there. 
Um, but I think I think there's a ton of um, tailwinds at our back for value add, 80s, 90s, 2000s, some 70s, uh, depending on location. Um, you know, for people to to have a ton of success with. I mean, we've we've bought up Mesquite Garland. Um, uh, we're buying a deal in North Richmond Hills right now. It's 80s product. Um, you know, my only my only thing is watch your debt maturity. That's where you'll get your ass kicked. Everyone right now is taking 80% bridge loans. They're taking them, you know, two-year term, three-year term, trying to goose the, the LIBOR uh, and the spread. Um, and I promise you that CMBS or that CDO lender and servicing doesn't care what happens to you uh, once it's once it's originated and often it's a securitization. And, you know, if you think in two years, we, we're entering a little bit of an unknown right now. Uh, I think where you get your, your really get caught your pants down is just into some sort of debt maturity default. Um, and so I would definitely buy, but I would definitely try to watch your maturity schedule uh, and stick to well located stuff. Good question. Uh, Neil? Yes, so Scott, when you were building your leadership team, what were some of the character traits that you look for? So you could ensure that you incorporate your culture, uh, your company culture was actualized. Yeah, real quick, Scott, question was just kind of, you know, as Scott was building it out, what were some of the leadership traits on his executive team? Um, I mean, it's, it's silly to say, but it's just like people you want to have a beer with. Uh, it starts there. It really does. Like, I don't want to work with people that I don't like or get along with, or I don't feel like have the same values as me. Um, after that, you know, we've kind of gone away from, you know, the first two people I referenced that I hired, you know, when we were starting out and said, can't screw this up. What was our, our kind of natural instinct was I'll go hire someone with 25 years of experience. They'll know what to do uh, and, and lead us you know, to the promised land. What we quickly figured out is they're set in their own ways. They, you know, they just bring a lot of baggage to the table. Um, you know, they tend to just be slightly less motivated. I don't know why that is sometimes, but um, you know, it's just a job to them. You know, if you've been doing 25 years and you know, especially you know, it's, with a startup, it just can be tough. There's a lot of long hours. Um, in our second round, we hired people with Less, much less experience. My CFO had no experience in real estate, but she would work with Price Waterhouse, had her CPA, all that stuff. Uh, she was flipping homes as a side hustle uh, while doing her manager accounting job in in, uh, in audit. Um, and I knew that you know there's a lot of people that are capable, but do you have the entrepreneurial mindset? Are you willing to do whatever it takes? Uh, and and you want to hire people that you get along with and will run through a wall for you. Um, and I think that's what we we have with our well, and honestly our entire team right now. I mean. Um, I feel like work hard, play hard is, is a big, is a big, uh, is a big uh, motto for us. And um, we want people to have their time off and we want people to enjoy their life, but we want them to be able to run through a wall for us. Um, and so we feel like we have that. Yep. Great story, Scott. Um, it sounds like at the beginning, you almost backed into multifamily. You were looking at obstacles forward and you built a great organization around the product type. If you were starting it over today and multifamily cap rates are three, four, inflationary pressures, you know, like I mentioned before, are on the horizon, would you do the same thing or would you maybe focus on a different property type? Uh, so, you know, Scott, if you were starting over today, you know, where the interest rate climates are, cap rates are, uh, would you start, you know, would you start doing the same thing today? Um, I, absolutely. I mean, I, I don't. 
you know, when I say watch your maturity defaults uh, or your maturity schedule, that's that's kind of worst case scenario. And we always think about protect your downside. So there's some concern there, obviously, with where we're at. But I mean, I think especially in Dallas, I mean, I think we've just got 10, 20 years ahead of us of just really strong growth. I mean, I, I could get bumpy, you know, could it could it kind of derail for a little bit? Could we overbuild? You know, that's something we're always watching, you know, conversely enough. Construction costs are up so much, permits are way down. Um, I mean, I think COVID has accelerated trends so far in our favor that, you know, we should just, I mean, that's why we're buying so much. I, I really do believe multi uh, has, a, has, a, has a long growth rate ahead of itself. Um, you know, and it's, it's one of the few businesses where you can truly add value. Um, you know, people, call this term of value add industrial, what the hell is that? It's a it's it's a concrete stick wall. You, you lease it up. You, you you can't really change anything. You can't manage it better. You can't provide customer service better. Uh, you, it, it's just you know it, it's tough. You can barely renovate the thing. Um, so I feel like that's a tough industry to really break into. And every building's a nine million dollar transaction. I mean, how do you get scale doing that? You know. So if you want to develop industrial, maybe that's a good spot. Uh, you know, if you really want to dive headfirst into picking up distressed business conference center hotels, have at it. Um, but in terms of just like what has the best absolute demographics and you can truly add some value in and make good money for yourself, I, mean, I think it's, I think it's multifamily all day. Does that change when you hear conversations of potentially eliminating 1031 exchange or raising capital gains tax? No, I, I mean, I think 1031 has been chop on the chopping block for 40 years it's just it doesn't generate anything um in terms of like actual real you know tax revenue i mean all we would do is stop selling or you never would 1031 again and it would just sit in your family trust forever um so i think it's a it's a political you know slap point but um you know cap gains i think are probably headed higher who knows where i mean biden's a career politician um he knows that it's never going to get to 43.8. It's probably going to be 28. Um, you know, I think there's a point of no return if you go past 28 is what the basically all the tax experts are saying that you start to have a diminishing return because less people sell. Um, so I think that's where it ends up. And, and at the end of the day, if you think, you know, multi is going to grow the way it's going to grow uh, and it's this giant quest for yield, where do you go to find a six cash on cash that can turn into a 15 net IRR in a, in a great city? You know, uh, do you want to be the one holding, you know, one and a half treasury yield on a 10 year? No. Um, does that even come close to matching pension obligations at 7%? No. Um, so where do you put your money? I mean, I think it has to be multi. Um, and and we're, doing a, we're doing a deal right now with a um, group that's a merger of, uh, of uh, a New York Morgan Stanley Opportunity Group. Uh, and Sun Life, Amer Sun Life out of Canada, it's an insurance Canadian company, um, 52 billion in AUM uh, across the entire globe. All they've ever done for 30 years, gateway markets, London, Paris, whatever it may be. Well, guess what? Their entire MO for the next 18 months is buy Texas multifamily. Uh, and if that doesn't tell you exactly all you need to know, I mean, that's that is mind blowing. I mean, this is a group that has literally bought up and down Fairfax, LA, San Francisco, New York, Midtown, and all they want to do is buy North Dallas multifamily with us. I mean, that's, that's shocking. So um, I think we've got some room to run. Any other questions? Yeah. Yeah, quick one. Um, on the origination side on debt, and just 
from your perspective, at what point does an operator move to a penthouse cap device? And really find the economies of scale there and ability yep. under management, like a certain number of floors. I mean, I would love to make the money y'all make. So we would we would gladly vertically integrate. <laughs> The biggest issue we've found is it takes us out of the, it, it's just on the margin enough to sway a broker's decision to show you a deal because the brokers all make money off the capital markets team. And so if you've got buyer A, it's a great deal, and you got buyer B who has their own capital markets team, and you know you're not going to get your debt fee, who do you bring it to first? You bring it to buyer A. Um, and that is literally the sole reason we will not do it. Um, I, you know, we love, and that's what we love to do. We love to look at the capital markets and figure out how to do all that stuff. But um, we've got great broker relationships. Um, and, you know, we, we, we focus a lot on off-market stuff. So it's critical we get those calls. Um, and so we've chosen just to stay out of it. One more question. Uh, Jared Reed, looks like I saw your hand up. No. Okay. Uh, yeah. Whoa, whoa, Chris, hold on, Chris. We, we got to we got to make sure we have the first question, man. Come on. In the last questions. Was well, so it Anybody on. else but Chris? <laughs> Anybody else? Okay, Chris. So you were touching on everyone wanting to invest here. So if you're new starting out, you know how how do you pitch? Like you, you mentioned, you know, taking as buyer A versus buyer B. If you're if you're buyer A and I'm buyer B, I'm going to lose hands down. Sure. So, uh, well, well, I mean, your personality goes a long way. So I don't know. I mean, I, I won't say yes to that. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I, you know, uh, it, it's the question I get the most. I, I don't have an exact answer. Um, I think all you do is you start with the, the non-institutional quality class. And that's doesn't necessarily mean you got to do flat roof, two, five chillers in the middle of nowhere. But it does mean that you're probably better off chasing, you know, 150 unit deals in Garland. Um, you want to just be just enough under the institutional radar. You're not competing with people who can generate and live with a 13 IRR, or 12 IRR, or 11, whatever they're underwriting to. Um, you know, I think there's a lot of great secondary markets in Texas um, that are spilling over uh, and are, are honest, honestly probably outperforming. Um, so, you know, if I was you, I'd say what you know, what has great population, household income, what has the lowest supply kind of pipeline. You know, when we started out, it was, we were heavy on Arlington because the rents were too low to build. Could never build in there. Um, so we went and bought tons of, tons, thousands and thousands of views in Arlington. Uh, and, you know, everyone kept asking why you're doing it. And I'm like, well, anybody can build in Fort Worth right now or in Uptown or, down, you know, North Dallas because the rents are 14, 1500 bucks. So it works on paper. You know, rents in Arlington are 900 bucks. If, if we're at a point where people are building in Arlington, we crushed it. Um, and truth, I mean, just that, that turned out to be totally true. Um, and so I would just focus on where the rents are and good markets uh, with good jobs that are kind of 100, 200 units. The other thing is on the smaller side of the, 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 the spectrum of, of unit size, you know, call it 150 units, you can turn those deals so fast. Uh, so if you're an IRR-driven person with carried interest, like you will be or are, uh, I mean, some of our absolute best deals are 160 units here, 175 unit deal there. Um, because if I'm you, my goal is buy it, renovate 30% of the units, 
prove up some massive upside, sell it at a four cap, generate a 20 IRR, put a giant win on the board, and you're off to the races. Um, and you should be able to do that on a 150 unit deal. If you're not done in 12 months and on the market month 15 and out of it in 18 months, I mean, you messed up, but I think that's, that would be my path. Good question. Good question. Guys, yeah, can give a round of applause to Scott. Great job.